Um, but one of the things that I have uh, pondered for a long time is how was it that Jesus came to a place where he actually knew who he was and what he had come to do? Have you ever thought about that? Like from childhood to or infancy, actually, then to childhood, and from childhood into young adulthood, young adulthood, up until the time at roughly 30 years of age he began ministry. How did it happen that it dawned on him who he was and why he was here? Now, you can imagine, even as a young child, Mary and Joseph would have begun to tell the incredible story about his birth. I think that would have been part of the, part of the journey for him. But again, as a child, how much do you assimilate? Son of God, very human. He had to grow up too. And then, you know, you move into, you know, beyond childhood. They didn't have teenagehood then, but, you know, young adulthood. And I think probably Jesus spent time reading the scriptures. We know he did. He knew them so well. He would have been trained in them as a young Jewish man. And the spirit of God would have started to work. And I think, and we're not even sure. <laughs> he might have known you know, much, much earlier than what I'm suggesting. But my sense is that the Spirit of God would have started to unfold in his mind the reality of who he was, the Messiah, the anointed one sent of God, the Son of God ultimately, come into the world. Come to, uh, to, to, to develop this incredible vision for the world so that the evil which had taken hold in the world might be ultimately put away. And that, that something that he would then call the kingdom of God would come. It had come in him, he the new ruler of this kingdom, to bring the way of God, of love and of grace and of justice and of righteousness. And at some point, he must have come to realize, you know, I'm going to have to go to the cross and I'm going to have to die for the sin of the world and I'm going to have to be raised again to new life that I might be Lord of all. And he would have had to have struggled with that and have come to accept it. At what point did Jesus know who he was and what he had come to do? Well, honestly, we don't really know from Scripture. We know that his baptism seems to have been a significant part of that journey. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, God said from heaven. And so forth. But when he realized it, who he was and why he was here, he did something. And he entered into a season of three years of ministry in order to accomplish the task that he had come to understand was his and his alone. I'm going to ask you this morning, what did he do? What do you think? What did he do? You know me, I mean, he needed the world changed. This is big. This is massive, this vision that God gave to Jesus. Uh, he, he knew the, the, the immensity of it. He he. he you know, knew that individuals like you and me, we would need to be saved. We would need to have that encounter of God by faith where our eyes are opened and our, and our sin forgiven so that we might enter into a relationship with God and that that would happen time after time after time after time, billions of times since, you realize that. And not only would individual people have to be changed, but the world would need changed in ways that I just described, justice instead of injustice, righteousness instead of unrighteousness. You know, the world as it had been become couldn't be the way that it would always be because God had a purpose and he was enacting it in the coming and in the life of Jesus. But in order to make this happen, what did he do? Now, the obvious answer is, well, he established a church. You know, we've talked about Pentecost and the church that was formed by the filling of the Spirit and various expressions of that. Of course, that's what he did. But he didn't go and say, you know what, I'm going to set up the Presbyterian Church of Israel. 
or the Anglican Church of Israel or the Baptist Church of Israel. You know, he didn't do that. Didn't establish a structure. I think a lot of the strategic thinkers among us probably would. Oh, that's a big challenge. We better get busy. Think more concretely. Think most specifically about what Jesus did in the three years that he had to do ministry to begin this monumental movement of God in the world. What did he do? I want to tell you, he gathered together a group of 12 people. And he said, let's do life together. And he said, I'm going to show you who I am, you know? And, and I'm going to help you catch a vision of what God wants to do in this world. I, he, he gathered these people together, and essentially he said to them, come with me. Let's move forward together, because this is the beginning of something huge and profound and world-shaking. Twelve men. And Jesus. That's where he focused his ministry. That's what he gave himself to. And he did it with intention, and he did it with focus, and he did it with deliberation. I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22, and read it for you. This is just one of the examples. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you to fish for people and once they left their nets and followed him going on from there he saw two other brothers James son of Zebedee and his brother John they were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him do you understand the intentionality with which Jesus started to form his crowd this is his strategy this is the brilliant son of God filled with the Holy Spirit of God beginning ministry and from there you know we, we catch different glimpses of this and the different of the the biblical books the Gospels Matthew Mark Luke and John in Luke 5 we're not going to read it but he he's he's he bumps into this man named Levi he's a tax collector he's hated by the people he said Levi follow me Levi got up and left that life and he came to follow Jesus and on and on it goes until he has 12 people with him, and more actually. And then in Luke chapter 6, listen to this, critically important verses, verses 12 to 14. It says this. Okay, that one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. Uh, don't put up your hand. Who here has spent the you know, given up sleep because there's something so important on your mind that you're just committed to pray to the Lord all night long. Jesus knew he was at a pivotal point, a point of incredible significance for what was yet to come, and he gave himself to praying through the night. When the morning, you know, when the morning came, he called his disciples to him, all of them, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, and the rest. And you know, it is so easy to read that and just brush by it. Uh -uh. But you know what? Jesus was doing something of incredible importance. These people would become his people. These people would become the people with whom he would live for three years. His crowd, if you would. 
And these are the people he would build into. These are the people he would enable. And these people would impact the world when Jesus was gone in remarkable and profound ways. And it's so important to remember, and I want you to know this, this, I'm going to call it the way of Jesus, didn't stop when Jesus finished here on earth when he died and was raised to, to uh, resurrected and, and then ascended to heaven. The church of Jesus held on to this means of being. Small groups of people gathering together to encounter God. Listen to Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Technical difficulties this morning. I'll read it to you. There we go. It says this. This is, this is so important. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And by this means of people gathering together, people forming these, these groups of people in, in which they served and grew and learned, my friends, the world was changed. You know, um, and I believe I've reported this to you before, but Jesus died roughly at 30 A.D., and, and, and by the year 100 A.D., it is estimated that, that the church had gone from, you know, 120 people at the point of Pentecost to 22 million people within 70 years. 22 million people believed in and followed Christ within a span of 70 years. All of this, while there, there, there were no church buildings such as we have, this incredible resource we have in which to do ministry, all this while there were no professionally trained clergy, there were no seminaries, there were no vast resources of commentaries and iPods and so much else that we have access to, every single one of us, in order to grow and learn and be transformed into the image of Jesus. All, and all this in the context of severe persecution by the Roman Empire. People were killed and imprisoned, and there was this powerful resistance to the message of Jesus. They had to hide in order to follow Christ and to, to be the church, if you would. How did they do it? They did it in the way of Jesus. A bunch of people getting together. Just a few here and there in order that they might, as they did in, in Acts of the Apostles, teach one another and pro proclaim the good news of Jesus. You see, this is the way of Jesus, and this is the way that God made impact in profound fashion early on. I want to talk to you this morning about how we do church. And one of the few critical mechanisms that we put in place at IPC is gathering people together, just a few people together, in smaller groupings, which usually meet in homes, in order to see lives changed in order to see this world changed. And I want to tell you we do it because this is the way of Jesus. Don't let anybody convince you of anything other than that. Why is it that Jesus entered into this? I'm going to give you a few reasons. Number one, this focus on what we call small groups, this small group of Jesus, it was because where these regular guys, these regular people, they weren't superstars. As a matter of fact, they were faulty and broken people in so many instances. They weren't famous and they weren't wealthy. They were just regular people like you and me. But it is in this context where these people experienced Christ. 
They really did. Every day they saw Jesus doing what Jesus did. Every day they saw him healing people and they saw him teaching people and they saw him doing things by the power of God that nobody else could do. Every day they saw him confronting injustice and, and the wrong in order to make it right. They experienced Christ simply by being with him. Now I'm going to bring a text to you of scripture that you've probably heard many of you many times, but I want it to, I want it to confront you. And I want to ask you, do you believe this, yes or no? Matthew 18, verse 20 says this. For where two or three, Jesus is speaking, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. There I am with them. I'm present with my people when they come together as opposed to being on their own. I'm present with them. I, I, I am joining them by my spirit. I am alive in their presence. My friends, I want to tell you, if we want to know Christ, if we want to experience him, we need to have this experience of being together with his people, encountering him, because there he will teach us from his word and his truth will make impact. You know, there the love of God will become real among us. I, you know, I thought of this verse from 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us. He's talking about loving one another deeply and profoundly so that we might have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus, and on it goes. But look at that little phrase. This is how love is made complete among us. If we want to experience the complete sense of the love of God, if we want to know it in its fullness, we have to do it in this sense of community, in this sense of connectedness with other people. And I would go as far as to say that if we don't do that, then we will never experience the love of God in the way that we could. Do you believe that? It'll be an incomplete experience of God's love. In, so we, we, we are profoundly impacted by the truth of God. This is the goal. This is the vision of what this is. In that place, we experience the love of God in a fuller and a more complete sense. In this place, the Lord Jesus comes, and by his truth, he brings healing into our brokenness. In this place, in, the, in this way of Jesus, we are freed from the power of sin, and his spirit works to transform us. You see, the whole idea of being a disciple in Jesus' day and in our own, and I hope you consider yourselves as, uh, as disciples of Jesus. But in that day, it was a matter of being with a rabbi and being in ongoing relationship with him, Do, you know, just, just experiencing him all the time for two reasons. Number one was to learn from him, and number two, to become like him. And Jesus, with incredible intentionality, set up this small group of guys and said, okay, let's go and do it. Look at me. Experience me and be changed by me. And my goodness, what an impact it had. Here's our challenge in North America. Too many Christ followers think they can do Christianity alone. Now, I don't want you to think about your rational kind of response to that. I want to think about the assumption that might dwell in your heart because the culture tells us to think this way. But I want to tell you, it's not the biblical way. Oh, I can know Jesus without reference to other people. I can pop into worship once in a while without deep relationships of love among the people of God. I can pray on my own at home. I can follow Jesus with, you know, the, the vertical dimension in place, but I don't need the horizontal, says a North American Christian. But I want to tell you this based on these texts and so many others. Christianity is always a communal, community-oriented activity. It is never an individual one. 
And it is a communal activity where Christ is at the center of the life of his people, revealing himself, teaching them, healing them, loving them, inspiring them, comforting them, whatever it might be in that place. I want to say this morning, my friends, if we want these things in our lives, we won't really engage them if we try to do life alone as a Christian person. We need to encounter Christ in that small group. Another reason I think Jesus established uh, uh, his ministry as he did, his strategy as he did, was that in these smaller groupings, um, he and these disciples got to do life together. And again, I want you to think about this. You know, they didn't just go to the synagogue once a week hear the word of God read and spoken to. I mean, they did that. Or to the temple. But that's not what they did. Listen again. I'm going to read Matthew 4 again, 19, this time to 22. Listen not only to the calling of Jesus. Listen to the dynamic of what they left in order to be able to do so. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Um, My friends, I want to tell you. They left things of incredible significance in order to follow Jesus. They left their business focus. And I'm not saying we all need to do that, but in our heart of hearts we do. (laughs) You know? They left what they were used to. They left family in order to follow after Christ. They came to this place. They left all they would later on say in order to do life with Jesus and with Jesus' people. They stepped away. Now, again, culture is not really into this. <laughs> a, lot of us, a lot of us envision life kind of on our own or with a broader circle of family. That's kind of how we locate ourselves in our minds as we do life in North America. I I heard a professor from Queens uh, reporting on a study earlier this year. And she said that the number of Canadians living alone has increased dramatically. At this point, 28% of Canadians live alone. She gave some reasons. She, She said, you know, people are living a lot longer. And for people who are widowed, they live a lot longer alone than people did previously because they're living so much longer. She talked about the higher divorce rate. You know, a lot of people are divorcing now compared to, say, a generation ago, a lot more. So at least for a time, those people are living on their own. Younger people are marrying later. Part of the reason she gave is that sexual activity is not now limited to within the marriage context in this culture. Uh, It happens commonly prior to marriage, unfortunately, from a biblical perspective. But as a result, young people don't feel the need to marry uh, until, you know, I think the average is 27, 28 for men and women. A lot of Canadians living alone, there's this sense that, you know, life is a more isolated sort of dynamic. And we bring this into the experience of faith, and we have an assumption at the back of our minds. And it is this, I can do this life with Christ on my own. The The vertical is enough. I don't need this. And I want to tell you, the Bible screams the opposite. And it says, as I've said, if you want to encounter Christ, you've got to engage him in the midst of his people. And it says, 
the model that Jesus gives to us is people doing life together, even to the point of envisioning life with the people of God, at, at least equally to the idea of doing life with our family. This is the focus. This is the passion. This is the heart that we embrace, even as we continue to work in our jobs. <clears throat> because it is there, my friends, that life change happens. He caused us to envision life in a new way because it is in that place that we will know with a handful of other people the love of God that transforms. Bear one another's burdens, the Bible says. Confess your sins to one another. Who would do that unless they had found a place of belonging where trust is real and vulnerability is possible because grace predominates? And I can share with you my struggles and I can even share with, with you my sins because in that context, I know I'm going to be loved anyway. And you are going to pray for me and you are going to hold me accountable. And because of you, not just me on by my own, but because of us, I'm going to be able to move beyond the sin that I struggle with. Do you see? Do you understand the way of Jesus? And how he calls us to something that is different than what we know? In North America, at least. Let me ask you this question. To whom did Jesus say in John chapter 13 these words? A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. It's a powerful commandment. Now think about how Jesus had loved and how he would love these 12. A new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. He would go to the cross and he would die for them. And after they failed him and after they betrayed him, he'd love them anyway. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. To whom did he speak these words? He spoke these words to the twelve. Truth be told to the eleven because Judas, the betrayer, had just left them the night before Jesus would die. And there were eleven people. This is the commandment I'm telling you. Love each other. And if we ever need a mandate for what our small groups might look like at IPC, that is it. That these be places where Christ comes alive as we do life together with other people, as we love one another in ways that are deep and life-changing and profound. And I want to tell you, my friends, if you haven't found that place, you haven't found that group of people yet, I challenge you to enter into the way of Jesus. And I challenge all of you who are already experiencing this and soon will be gathering together again, uh, at IPC to live in this fashion to make your group such as is being described here because there Christ will come alive and you will know him in a way you couldn't otherwise in that group of people with whom you do life I want to tell you the power and the reality and the grace of God will be known in your experience the third thing I want to suggest to you in terms of why Jesus did things the way Jesus did things he formed a small group in order to, um, to be with these people, to live, to teach, and so forth. But I want to tell you, at the heart of that small group was a passion to change the world. He, he drew these people together, not just to love them, not just to build relationship with them. He had a mission. He had a task. He had a focus that actually would take him to his death. He was so passionate about it. But he didn't do it alone. He said, come with me. Join with me. And let's change this world together. You see, he, here it is. Here's the strategy. Jesus speaking, I'm going to change people through their experience of me and through their experience of one another. And out of that dynamic, they are going to transform the world. They're going to make it new after I am gone. They are going to embrace 
the dynamic of the work of God. They are going to pick up mission and ministry, and I will use them by my spirit. See, it was wired into the very purpose of Jesus forming this group. He wanted to create impact, and this is the way he chose to do it. You know, my friends, I want to tell you, 70 years later, 22 million people following Jesus. This is a brilliant strategy. And I want to tell you, it just proves that it is the way of God. It is the way of personal transformation, and it is the way of world transformation. And Jesus would train these people. They would see him do ministry. They would, they would see him reach out to Zacchaeus evangelistically so that Zacchaeus became a believer. They would see him encounter the woman at the well and break those barriers of bigotry and prejudice so that she and many others through her would come to faith in Jesus. They would see him confront <laughs> injustice in his world. They would see Jesus healing people and, and, and raising people from the dead, the power of God flowing through him. Think of the impact it would make in their lives. They would see Jesus feed 5,000 people by praying, and a little lunch became a massive amount of food because God was in it all. I want to say to us all here today, our, our, our small groups can be like that. And if they're not, we have a vision to embrace. We can move forward because in these experiences, Christ can show up in his power, his healing power, his transforming power, his saving power as we embrace mission and go out into the world. Again, Jesus and his disciples, didn't, his 12, didn't sit in the synagogue and study the Bible only. They did that, but they also went out and they impacted the lives of the people they encountered. What an exciting uh, thing that those men experienced for three precious years living with being taught by, being loved by, being corrected by, being forgiven by the Son of God who was in their midst. My friends, that's the vision for ourselves. This is who we are. This is what we are called to be. So life groups, small groups in impact, small groups in sisterhood, new young adult ministry in, in the small group fashion that's being formed right now. I'd even say high school ministry uh, which, which so often includes this small group dynamic as well. Missional communities, as you form and as you give yourself to transform the world, do it together. Do it in the way of Jesus so that Christ might be powerfully at work, so that the kingdom comes in power. Do you see it? Do you see that vision? See, there are two primary ways we think of doing church here. For some of you, this isn't new. For some of you, it might be. We, 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 we think of two means, if you would, whereby IPC primarily functions. One is worship on a weekend. Something incredibly powerful and life-changing and necessary happens here. And the other is, is small groups. In all of the different expressions in which they meet, we have the internal function where people are built up in faith. And this includes more than worship, although worship is primary. We have youth and children's ministry. And we have the leadership function of our elders meeting and discerning God's will. And, and, and we, have, we have training functions and so forth. But we have the internal thing. And we try to minimize what goes on here. We don't want you here all the time because we want you out there in homes gathering together and encountering Christ. And we want those groups 
coming alive in mission and passionately saying, how can we be used to make a difference for God, just like Jesus, who is now with us, was with his disciples making a difference for the kingdom of God. Well, you know, uh, I'm just standing here realizing we're, we're talking mission or, or vision next week. I'm talking vision today, aren't I? My friends, the potential for this church to make impact for the Lord is huge. Do you know that? For what God has done by his grace and his mercy has entered into the lives of hundreds of people. And he said, I want you to be mine. And he's opened our eyes to see the reality of Jesus and what he has done for us in the cross and in the resurrection. And he has blessed us with faith. And we have opened our our hearts and our minds and our lives to the person of Christ. And we said, come in, Lord Jesus. Forgive me for my sin. I want to follow you. I want to be yours. I want to be used by you. And in that context, then we, we look at Scripture and we say, okay, how are we, who are IPC? How are we going to come together? How are we going to make an impact for God? Well, we're going to do it in the way of Jesus. We're going to do it in the way of Jesus. Let me ask you this question as we wind down. Make a comment and then the question. As I said earlier, somehow and in some way, Jesus went through likely a process of realizing who he was and why he was here on earth. By the grace of God, by the work of God's Holy Spirit, his eyes were open and he realized, I am the living Son of God, come from heaven to this earth to bring a new kingdom, to transform the world, to overcome the power of evil and destroy it someday. That's who I am. I have a purpose that flows out of my identity. And if nothing else, what I want you to hear today is this, that you as a follower of Jesus need to move through the same process to come to the same realization. If you are in Christ, if you trust Jesus, if he has forgiven your sin and you have made him your Lord, if you have yielded your life to him like those disciples did, who were called by Jesus and said, I'm in. You are a child of God. And even that needs to unfold with time because as it unfolds, it transforms who we are. Certainly our understanding of ourselves. We are loved as precious and beloved children by God Almighty. That is who you are. That is your identity. My friends, when we understand our identity, all of a sudden, as Jesus likely did one day, he began to realize if that is who I am, there's a purpose for my life. And that purpose is here. I am here, a child of God, in order to bring the kingdom of God into this world. Now, you'll do it differently than Jesus did. <laughs> I don't imagine any of you will end up on a cross. But here's what I want to tell you. When we are called into relationship with Jesus, when we are given identity as the children of God, we are called to sacrifice our lives, to give our lives, to die to self, in order that Christ might live in and through us, in order that the, that, the, that the things which God longs for become the things which are prominent in our life. It's no longer the work. We still work, but all of a sudden work becomes a means to an end, which we talked about earlier this year, a means of ministry. All of a sudden we discover as a child of God, I have gifts and I have passions that God has weaved into my heart that I might bless other people. This life doesn't exist just for me to satisfy myself anymore. I need to take on the heart of Christ and give my life that the kingdom of God comes. And I want to ask you this morning, 
I guess in part at least. Where are you at in that journey? Do you know who you are? Has that realization settled in profoundly into your heart and into your mind that who you are first and foremost is a precious and deeply loved child of God? That'll change your life. <laughs> and what that will do is take you to the place that it took Jesus, our Lord, where he said, Lord God, I'm here for you, my Father. I will do your will, even to the point of death. And he gave his life. He gave his life that the kingdom of God might come in power. Will you? My friends, once he knew his identity, once he knew his purpose, you know what he did? Seems kind of crazy. You only got three years. You're God. You've got power. You can snap your fingers and the whole world will know about you. You know what he did? He chose 12 people to do life with. He said, let's go, guys. I'm going to build into you that you can then build into the world. I call you to that today because I believe from the core of my being that is the message of Scripture for we who are His. Now, in a few weeks, we're going to have small group sign up. I know a ton of you already belong to groups where I hope and I pray this is happening. If it isn't, get busy. Small group leaders, embrace this vision for your group and do everything in your power to bring this to life, to reality. We're going to be offering training as we go forward more than we have in recent years to that end. But my, I want to tell you, if you haven't stepped into a group, if you're not part of one, I know how it works. If you were in one last spring, you're probably going to be in the same one this fall, right? That's how, that's how it works around here. But if you have never entered into the way of Jesus, can I ask you to go from this place in a few minutes and go to our welcome desk and put your name on a piece of paper? And just sign up. Very often we need to create new groups for new people. It's the best way to make it happen. That opportunity is there for you today, my friends. Just do it. Just do it so that you might encounter life the way Jesus' disciples encountered life with him. Jesus will be with you in the midst. And as we pray and as we long and as we study and as we love, God will become real in a new way. I'm convinced, and I hope I've convinced you today that this is the way of Jesus. This is the way of faith. This is the life we are called to live. Will you do it as followers of his? Let me pray. Lord, it's, uh, it's interesting when in this day and generation when we have Many PhDs written about how churches might grow and strategy sessions are engaged. And we look at culture and we use our best intelligence in order to know how to grow churches. When we look at scripture, we see the way of Christ. And all he did was gather together 12 people, 12 flawed people. And he did life with them that they might be transformed, that they might enter into mission with him, that when he was gone, they would carry on the same pattern and do more mission until this world has changed Lord because of that pattern we're 2,000 years later and billions of people have come to know Jesus and they have given their lives to following him in faith God we want this church to be a powerful means whereby your work is done and we pray that we might enter in with conviction and with passion into the way of Christ so that that work might be done among us 
God, I pray for the people gathered here that they will have the courage and the faith to say yes to this opportunity and that as we gather together in just a few weeks, sign up in a couple of weeks and then gather together thereafter for the year, that you would, would allow us to experience these things. God, help us to encounter Christ in the midst. Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, we pray that you will be there and that you will be at work and that we will be transformed. Help us to learn to do life together, not alone, so that we are changed. And Lord, help us to embrace with passion the opportunity to, in specific and concrete ways, serve God together. God, come among us. Holy Spirit, move among us and bring this church to the place where we are having profound effect in our community and in our world, even greater than what we have now, that the world might see the reality of Christ in us and that the glory of God might be known again. God, this we pray in the precious and in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us?